So that seems a little crazy that you send me what happened six years ago and we were literally just there last night, a day off from being on the nose six years ago. Yeah, well, I think it's exactly because I would have posted those pictures the day after, so oh, like today. True. So yeah. the following night, so it was exactly six years ago yesterday that we were at the witch tree. That's awesome. And it's kind of ironic that we go around the same time every single time we we go up there. It's this time of the year. Yeah. And I don't really think we planned it either like that. It was just a day that we were able to pick. Agreed. Very much so. But the pictures definitely look like they're from six years ago. Oh, yeah. The first inv joint investigation we did with Badass Barrett Outlaws, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's... uh. But I mean, things don't look uh look bad from uh from from the pics. Yeah, like they don't look the bad at all. the tree and stuff. Which if we would have to, same. I would have to take a look. I'm pretty sure Rebecca took pictures, but we might have to compare like what the tree looked like six years ago to now, and see the the growth that that tree has done since then. Yeah, I mean it sucks now because the fence is like really like destroyed basically yeah so that kind of sucks now but yeah it was a that was a crazy night last night very much so it was it was very active and not the right ways but you know it is what it is yeah we still have a potentially a lot of work to do up there mm -hmm. very much so and if any of our uh, listeners know of a shoshone shaman Send them our way, because we have some questions. Lots of questions. But uh, how did uh, Bear Lake go last week? Uh, it went. Yeah. Yeah, another week down. I don't have to go up there again next week, so I'm happy. Yeah, I was going to say, luckily you don't have to be up there again next week. You know, I'm tired of going up there a little bit, but I had an interesting dream. Mood up there let's hear um it was uh to, to put it simply um I, it was a dog um that was uh being euthanized i guess mm -hmm. um and i was present for it and i was watching it kind of struggle and then as it finally like got to settle down and it put its head down on on the table um that it was right on the verge of passing that like a female voice from the dog started talking like it was talking to me but at that moment like i stopped looking at the dog and i was looking away and i can hear the voice behind my head mm. of the the spirit of the dog talking to me i don't remember what it said for some reason but it was just mm -hmm. was talking to me and then and then that was it mm. that so is weird. Was weird yeah and it was like a bigger dog it's yeah. like a lab like yeah. light colored lab and i've never had a dog like that before so i mean it's not like anything connected to me for whatever yeah. reason hmm. well and i was gonna say you typically don't have dreams when you're not at home so i find that a little weird that you had a dream at your at the condo you're staying at yeah well i've stayed there a lot of times now i mean i've been up to bear lake in the last two months i've been up there more than i've been at home yeah so that's been like my second home honestly very much so. Is it the same room with the big old mirror? 
Um, or did you trade rooms? Because I knew that Mirda was kind of freaking you out a little bit. No, in 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 uh, my boss's uh, unit that he bought, mm -hmm. there isn't a mirror in there. In any of the rooms. I thought you stayed in a room when you were in Bear Lake one time and had a big old mirror. Yes, th those were several different like motels that my boss has rented. Oh, okay. But yeah. he bought one of the buildings that we're building on the job site. Okay, okay. That so makes sense. he he owns that. So we go to that same one now every time. Oh, it saves the company money since he already bought the unit. Yeah, and we're right on the job site, so I can literally leave the front door and I'm at work. Nice. How many more buildings do you guys have to do up there in Bear Lake? Um, I mean, it's going to go through another winter for sure. Yeah. Another winter and uh, another summer, most likely. So, another year. Yeah, well, that area is definitely blowing up. Which, yeah. And uh, we're going to be coming up uh, a year anyway, so two-year project. Yeah. And then before we know it, it'll be all done, and then you guys will be dispatched to do another set of homes over there, more than likely. Yeah, it'll use it as a stationary place to, you know, if we do work up there, that's where we'll stay. Mm-hmm. Oh, you ready to get this party started? Yep. This podcast contains material and language that may be disturbing to some listeners. While not explicit, listener discretion is advised. David and Shane discuss their random paranormal adventures and stories. We dive into paranormal cases from the past and the present. We also talk about what got us into the paranormal, the highlights, and the scary moments while on our adventures. This is Shane, and you are listening to... Bear River Paranormal Podcast. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. This podcast represents the views and opinions of David and Shane and their guests to the show. The views and opinions are for informational purposes only and because each person is so unique to their experiences, knowledge, and research, any and all opinions expressed does not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of any Bear River Paranormal group member, nor any member of the paranormal community as a whole. Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in to us. My name is Shane. And I'm David. And before we get to our main topic to this episode, we have updates. Now, on the previous episode, we talked about uh, helping out one of David's co-workers. Uh, so we were able to meet up with David's co-worker, and he had a very, very interesting attachment. Now, before we start getting into the nitty-gritty of this, now, what were your thoughts on this attachment that he had, David? Um, like... He told me the story of what's <clears throat> going on with him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just looked at him and I said, yeah, I, I believe you. I, I have no doubt in my mind that something could be attached to you, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I just never really um, 
open up that much connection wise with coworkers, energy wise, you know, I kind of just try not to suck any of their energy at any given time. Mm-hmm. So I've never really like tried feeling out on, on people, you know, I have to be in the mindset to like want to decide if I wanted to see what they have on them, you know? So I'm pretty much always constantly default in shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. So like if I ever walk in into crowded places, I'm not just constantly feeling their energies. Okay. Um. So I mean, I I never really looked into it, but you know, he he said tell this story and whatever, and he basically finally contacted uh, me because he said he was desperate to the point where he needs something done. And he literally thought he was just going crazy because it was only happening to him. And it's been happening to him for a long time. And no matter where he's lived, different states, it's just always followed him and has happened to him. You know, he had like poltergeist type activity happening to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that to happen whilst just being an attachment to him is, is pretty different than we've experienced before. Um, but yeah, we finally got figured out mm-hmm. that we can meet up and finally do it. And we cleansed him and all that, but, um, I have to get another update because I haven't talked to him specifically, nor has he contacted us, but I've heard from other people that have talked to him that he says it's back, hmm. which I can't imagine that it, the exact same thing we got rid is back. Yeah, but I have a suspicion that something else is there that took its place hmm. because he can't get uh, protected to prevent that from happening. So hmm. we'll have to have a conversation with him about it and see if we can fix his issues. Yeah, because the it ended up actually working out pretty well because we found a public location that we can meet up with them, and it was literally like a like a stone throws away from his house so uh once we got on location we just let him know that we were here and then he came and met up with us but this attachment was very weird um we did determine that it was an old attachment like it, it i'm not saying like old as in like how old how long it's been on him since he was 17 we're talking about this entity was i would dare say if I remember correctly three four hundred years old maybe even more um, the symbolicness of this particular attachment uh, would he this attachment usually goes after people who have names based off of the biblical era so we're not going to disclose his name or anything but his name correlates to uh, the biblical uh, times back in the day and this particular attachment likes to attach itself to people that have biblical names due to the fact that it's trying to uh, degrade and 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 chop down anybody that could potentially follow the faith of Christ and God uh, to overthrow darkness and demonic entities and so basically its job was to try to beat these people down to the point where it takes control so that way uh, God couldn't save them or anything like that and 
I find that super weird because I've never personally have come across a attachment like that before or a uh, malicious entity that would do that. Um, talking with Diana, conversing with her, and uh, her 20 plus years of doing this, she's only uh, come across an uh, entity like that a handful of times. So it's not a common attachment that a lot of people have, which I thought was super weird. Uh, that's why I was very intrigued on this particular attachment and wanted to study it because I've never heard of it before. Like, I've never heard of an attachment doing poltergeist-type activity um, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, some attachments can cause bad dreams and everything, but to physically have something being dropped from a kitchen table with, anybody, with no one else being there, you know, that's just, that's pretty phenomenal to me. And to get that opportunity to investigate this and research this and experience it firsthand was pretty fucking surreal. And I don't know what, I don't know if your, your thoughts align with mine, David, but I'm definitely more educated on that kind of attachment now versus some of the other attachments that we dealt with in the past. For me, anyway. Yeah, it was different. I mean, I didn't have too much involvement in it. I was kind of just there um, for like a spiritual protector, if need be, mm -hmm. for for you guys. But uh, I, it went relatively smoothly with the pull detachment and then the energy work that you did. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, he felt great at the time. And, he, you know, he said everything felt weird when it was happening so i felt like it worked but i yeah i just don't know why um he'd be affected by something else again so fast yeah remember uh remember when diana put her hands on him for the first time and that energy burst that came from both of them yeah that energy shift oh man that was that was something but yeah the energy work that I did with him, it was a little bit more in-depth. In fact, I actually had him go lay in the grass while I still did a little bit of energy work and I rubbed some uh, anointing oil on him and everything to, to help with the process of him accepting the energy from Mother Nature and Earth. So that way he didn't have as many side effects unlike some of our other clients that we've had in the past. Uh, if I remember correctly, he did feel lethargic the next day, but he didn't have any, like, sick symptoms or anything like that, so that was, that was a relief, at least. Yeah, no, when that burst of energy happened, I had my hand in my pocket on my, uh, stone, mm -hmm. um, and I could just feel the vibration of a heartbeats through each of my fingertips holding on to it. Mm -hmm. It was pretty intense, it was definitely lashing out when Diana started. Yeah, well, and I'm glad you had your Black Obsidian Palmstone with you, because I definitely needed it after doing all that. I was definitely, personally myself, I was I was pretty pretty lethargic the next day. I'm sure you were probably fine, David. I was fine. Yeah. And I know uh, Diana did dump it, so we didn't have to do anything more with that. But it was it was definitely an interesting cleansing. I'm hoping that your buddy when you do uh, um, are able to talk with him or if he reaches out we can finally figure out what's going on because 
I doubt it's the same thing, but if he didn't do the precautions that we told him to do, then I can see something else jumping in because uh, he basically left himself in a vulnerable state, unfortunately. Yeah. But I guess we'll, we'll know when we know, and if we get things figured out, we'll update you guys. Did you have any other updates, David? Um, I don't think so. I know you were wanting to look into the table tipping, and we talked about it last night, so I figured you were still looking into that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I still do need to look into the, that whole thing. And also, uh, for any of our listeners out there, if you've come across that SLS app for your phone, I haven't been able to locate it, so if you guys can find it for me, that would be great, because I'm having a hard time finding it at all. So I'm going to still do some more research uh, and look for it, because I know Brandon from Paranormal Unity, our guest that we had on the previous episode, uh, he was looking for it as well, and I'm kind of intrigued on it to see if it actually worked or not, so I'm also looking for that as well. And we still need to try the uh, tripod uh, pendulum thing. We just didn't have an opportunity last night to use it. We, pro I kind of want to try to use it uh, for a portal to see if it would actually work. Hmm. Yeah, I guess there's a few things we have to do. Yeah. But I personally, I don't think the pendulum would have worked last night anyway at the witch tree. So. Right. But, but yeah, that's all the updates that I have for uh, for us and you. You don't have any other updates, David? Uh, no. Alright, well then let's proceed on to our topic of the show today. And on today's episode of the BRP Podcast, we have some stories to talk about. Three of those stories come from the dead history. We are going to be talking about a veil, call, and hood. It's a story that David has found online. We will also be talking about a residential mini-investigation slash cleansing that we did in Layton, Utah, and then we are going to be talking about digital EMF meter, aka the K2, and some of the other spin-offs that you can purchase as well. So for the first story, we're going to talk about the Witch of Parley's Hollow. Now, David, have you ever heard of the, about this location before? Uh, No. Not I didn't really. really know about this location until someone posted it up in the Utah Haunted History page or whatever, and I started looking into it, and I think we had it on the list of places to potentially go do, but as with all locations, it seems like law enforcement is uh, clamping down on rules and regulations, so we weren't able to check this place out. But what research have you done on it so far, David? Um, honestly, not, not a lot. I haven't looked into it as much as the other stories. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I kind of forgot about this when, when we brought it up. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't have like much hard, like, I don't even remember where it's at, honestly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like on a map and stuff, mm -hmm. but it's just one of those, I think, uh, urban legend things i remember what the picture was like almost looked like a tunnel and like a bridge type of thing right correct yeah apparently at one point in time there was a house or some sort of a business right there 
Yeah, but uh, so basically it's uh, I guess it's like a ritual people perform. Um, kind of like, um, like a Bloody Mary type thing, mm-hmm. because I guess this woman or what, or whatever is, uh, also referred to as Crazy Mary mm-hmm. or Bloody Mary. I, I don't know, but she's also known as the Witch of Parley's Hollow. But, um, I guess from like 1930s to 1950s, uh, were, they were warned to stay away from this house that this crazy Mary was supposed to be in. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, it turns into a challenge, right? Yeah. So they, the the kids would see who could spot, you know, the witch and all that. Who I guess was like a recluse who just kind of lived out here in nowhere. Um. It's said that she had eccentric behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lady tells the story of going to her house at midnight and watching her wildly playing her piano. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the, the main goal is just to see if you can spot her. Um, but she's rumored to be crazy or a witch. And, you know, legends just around that just kind of grow mm-hmm. when you, you there's this house and people seem to you know, everyone has that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, around my uh, elementary school that I went to, you know, there was a house like in the playground. You can see their backyard, right? Mm-hmm. And it was always like a dilapidated house with like the backyards overgrown. And that was just the place that you picked. And you're like, yeah, that's the creepy, creepy house, you know? Yeah. I think every place has something like that as yeah. a kid growing up. Well, and, and what's interesting about this one, so it originally started as uh, Dundler's Inn. So back in 1864, uh, where the current Parley's Historic Nature Park is at today, uh, it used to be the Dundler family homestead, which uh, was a man, woman, and approximately seven children were living in this location. Jesus. Uh, yeah, which... Back then, if you if you, you can have more than a couple of kids, you you definitely uh, beat the odds on that one. Well, and you know, back then their houses are a lot smaller than oh yeah than oh, ours yeah. today. So that's that's wild. Yeah, very much so. I mean, looking at the old history of like my grandmother's house, for example, that that homestead right there, uh, they had I think twelve kids at one point in time inside of that house, and it was just a uh, a bigger size log cabin at that time when it was homesteaded. So it's just amazing how some of these people can have kids with the lack there of medical care. Because I know back in the day, a lot of people died trying to give childbirth. You know, that was kind of the norm back in the day. Right. But to have seven kids and still be able to survive every, all seven births, you know, that's that's a feat in itself. Especially back in the day with no epidural. But by what I can gather here, it looks like uh, Joseph, who was the uh, who was the husband, he was a carpenter by trade, and he was a he had a talent for brewing beer, which back in the day in Utah, a lot of Mormons used to drink uh, alcohol before they said it was a sin. I don't know if you heard about that, David. Um, I mean, it, it seems the, the the world 
throughout time goes through phases of whether it's good or not at certain times. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can go all the way back to the Vatican and, like, Roman times and all that. And, like, wine is fine and all that. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it seems like every... And then you have the Dark Ages where it's, you know, outlawed and all that. So, I mean, it goes through various phases throughout time of whether or not it's good or not. Yeah. So, who knows uh, at which point. But I guess at this point, during, like, settling and all that, pioneers, I would imagine they wouldn't have cared too much. Yeah. They had bigger problems. Yeah. Because, I mean, this guy here, he, uh, when his beer business took off uh, in 1892, he owned two saloons in Salt Lake City as well as a saloon up in Park City. Um, and then it looks like the homestead was also used to be an inn for travelers passing through Parley's Canyon. And by the early 1900s, it too was used as a saloon. In fact, that kind of brings up an ironic thing. Uh, Becky, who is one of our investigators, who was with us last night at our investigation, uh, her house used to be a saloon as well before they renovated it and turned it into a house. And back in the day, it wasn't uncommon to have a saloon or a bar or something in every single small town, uh, regardless how the population, there's always at least a saloon. Because, I mean, uh, Downey, Idaho, still has a bar. Preston has a couple of bars. Uh, Logan used to be riddled with bars. There used to be, I think at one point in time, eight different bars in Logan before most of them shut her down. There was a couple in Smithfield, one in Richmond, and I believe there used to be one in, in Lewiston as well. So, back in the day, a saloon was a, a common thing before, you know, everything started changing. Who knows for the better or for the worse, but I digress. But the, de- the death of the Dudler family basically was a very, uh, it was kind of like a domino effect. Uh, Joseph died suddenly on the 21st of October in 1897. Uh... The responsibility of running the brewery and maintaining Dudler's End fell to the wife and the children. Uh, it seemed they were a feisty bunch and were definitely up for the challenge. In 1898, the Salt Lake County Sheriffs arrived to the property in the middle of the night to order sh- uh, shut-off access to the canal for the Dudlers uh, had built to supply their brewery with water. So basically, the, the sheriff uh, choked them off of water so they wouldn't be able to brew any more beer um, but it looks like here uh, Mrs. Dudler and the sons uh, kept the canal open and the sheriff uh, left them embarrassed because they basically you know ripped him a new one and then it turned into a major legal battle uh, where the wife of Joseph sued Salt Lake City for taking their water and everything and in the suit uh, basically described that that they would um, be cutting off basically their business if they don't have access to the canal and everything and with the raw water rights and then a few years later on December 26 1904 mrs. Dudler succumbed to, to pneumonia and died at the family's homestead so basically the the homestead was left to the kids and everything and by what I can tell, looking over the article, looks like every single one of those children died to the point where uh, this location sat abandoned for years. 
And in fact, um, let's see, on the evening of October 18, 1952, on the 40th anniversary of uh, one of her son's death, um, the house basically went up in flames. And there's an article here uh, from, I assume, the Salt Lake paper, Parley's Fire Draws 1,500 uh, Salt Lake Drivers. And it basically outlined the uh, problem for the county because they weren't able to take care of the fire in an adequate time. And then since then, by what I can see here, you can uh, you can see the land from the new freeway, I-80. Um, but they basically turned that area into a historic nature park. And if you walk over to the old Dudler's Wine Cellar, which is um, in the picture of this article, which you can see part of the wine cellar and then the little tunnel right there with the with the uh, uh, fence. There we go. I don't know why I'm losing my words today. With the fence right there. Basically, there's a lot of people that have tried to go and investigate this location. Some people have personal experiences and everything like that. Um, I've heard other things too that there's supposedly, you know, malicious demonic activity happening there as well, which I really highly doubt. But like I said before, I didn't really know about this uh, location until I saw someone post up in the Utah Haunted History page and I started looking into it and then I found this article which, if you guys have never heard of the Dead History, this chick goes above and beyond uh, writing articles about urban legends. Uh, known haunted activity at locations and everything. In fact, a lot of our locations that we visited um, were was found because I found the dead history, like Hops Hollow, for example. I didn't know about that place until I found that article and a few other locations as well. And so far, every place that we've been to that was recommended by the dead history seemed to have panned out, right, David? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just depends whether or not people do any rituals at this stupid place would determine yeah. the the darkness of it but i think besides that if no one's done any rituals which i doubt it because that's all people do these days um i would see it being normal but i really doubt if we ever went there that we wouldn't find anything dark there to yeah. be honest yeah and to be honest with you i'd probably we would probably talk to the family and that's about it and whatever passing spirits on at that location but outside of that i just really don't think that there's really anything demonic everybody always screams something demonic when they don't understand it and and really that just does a d disservice to a lot of people you know yeah yeah it just doesn't help some people those are going trying too much to do stuff and then they bring stuff that there don't know how to handle yeah and it, it kind of goes in cue with the other episode that we had too about misunderstanding witches and everything so just because someone is unique doesn't mean that they're a full-blown witch either which i also find that a little ironic that they call her a witch even though she just might just be misunderstood you know what i mean yeah but you did have a couple other articles that you wanted to talk about as well from the same website um, yeah, um, so there was one thing called, uh, a pest house, uh, in Ogden, um, now when I was reading it, you know, people, they were saying if you've heard of the term pest house, you probably think bug or rodent infestation, mm -hmm. 
But actually, um, in the 17th century until the early 1900s, um, before, you know, modern hospitals, mm-hmm. most towns really didn't have a lot of um, hospitals. So they invented uh, this term called the pest house, which basically meant pestilence house. And basically, if you were highly contagious or diseases such as smallpox and all that, um, you really couldn't go to the hospital because it was probably really far away, the nearest one. Mm-hmm. So they had houses in these towns that were basically like quarantine houses. And basically that's where people went to see if they can fight off whatever they have. And basically um, you had uh, a person who had the disease who recovered from it. And so that they were the ones who were like the caretakers of the house, like, yeah. you know, someone who had smallpox and then got fought through it. So then they were immune to it. Basically, mm-hmm. they would be the ones who are the caretakers of the house now. Yeah. But basically, if you went there, you were just supposed to take care of yourself mostly. And it was just, yeah, just a way that they got people to quarantine away from the town, essentially. Yeah. And most of these places um, had like their honestly on the site graveyards mm-hmm. um but there there's two in uh, weber county um the first one is on uh, near 44th street in washington in south ogden mm-hmm. uh that's known as birch creek it was mm-hmm. established in 1882 um with a man known as daddy waldrum mm. quote so that's kind of weird. And his wife, uh, and they care for patients. Um, and then the second pest house was located in the north part of Ogden on 1100 North, uh, about a mile east of Washington Boulevard on the foothills of the mm. mountain. Okay. Um, there is, I don't think there's a house there no more, but there's like a trail that goes up there. And uh, there are some uh, what looks like uh, unmarked graves there. I mean, there's yeah. some pictures on it here, but so I mean that's that's pretty interesting. I never heard that term pest house before, but I mean it makes sense before mm-hmm. like hospitals and stuff. Yeah, and from what I can see here, it looks like it it's a public area, so we might want to go check that out and see if we can open up a line of communication or something. Yeah. But that yeah, kind of reminds me. Died. Yeah, but that kind of reminds me of uh, when we went to Chesterfield, like how you were explaining like what a pest house is and everything. And up there in Chesterfield, uh, the doctor basically used this house as a hospital, essentially. Right. Yeah, yeah. That town being so small and far away from you know the nearest town, which was probably Lava at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, the, the the only doctor there was the one, and you, you went to his house or he did house calls, you know, to you, mm-hmm. and that 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 was it. You know, it was his house. Yeah, and the grave, uh, the cemetery was just a stone throws away from the house too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, it's been a minute since we've been there for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was that. I thought that was very interesting, and then. This next one, it's uh, Steed's Pond in Clearfield mm-hmm. uh, here in Utah. Um, I mean, so the quick legend of it is, uh, you know, a fifth grade boy went swimming in Steed's Pond. 
uh, sometime during the spring and then, you know, drowned, um, which reportedly sees ghosts standing there and all that in the school um, and footprints leading from the pond. Um, that some people, I think, name think that's where the name came from, uh, but uh, it's not true. The truth is that the pond was named uh, from the Steed family who owned farmland in the area, yeah, including the pond, mm-hmm. and they sold land to an oil company. But um, I think what it really is is uh, so it says only two deaths have been verified. Uh, at Steed's Pond. They occurred on the same day of April 22nd, uh, 1949. Mm. Uh, three boy, young boys were playing on a raft in the icy pond. Mm. And then two of the boys were brothers, Walter and Billy Pacheco. And the mm. third was their cousin, Louis. Um, when they were playing, obviously, they something happened and they fell into the water trying to cling to uh, it to get to the shore. But uh, if you're falling in icy water, it doesn't take long if you're not quickly out of there to get hypothermia quick or you can shock up when you fall in the water and not be able to, like, swim or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, basically, rescue crews from Hill Air Force uh, made their way to the pond, sent out boats with grappling hooks and long poles, and the bodies of Walter and Lewis were located and pulled from the water around 10.30 p.m., Walter was nine. Lewis was 13. Lewis was buried in the Kaysville Cemetery, and Walter was buried out of state, most likely in Colorado. Hmm. Yeah, which is a tragic story, especially when it involves kids. Yeah, and then in the comments of this, uh, someone said that they know someone else, too, that has drowned in this pond. So, Hmm. you know, who knows uh, if any recent events have led to someone drowning in this pond as well yeah because i would assume back in the day uh they probably kept records to a point but most of them probably got uh destroyed so that's why there was only two that was verified that died there but if other people are saying that other people have died there who knows how many people have actually died in that particular man-made reservoir yeah so i mean but yeah it's just another reservoir of people have drowned in it it seems like they're pretty common it's like name a reservoir that someone hasn't drowned in over the years you know right like like impossible yeah like when we went to hops hollow when we found out that a little boy died there a couple servicemen died and a few others as well that were verified yeah which that was another location that we were going to go check out too but like some of the other locations that we wanted to go to, law enforcement has clamped down on laws and everything, so don't really want to catch a trespassing charge or anything. Yeah, you basically have a curfew at the pond that, you know, at, by 10 o'clock you have to be gone. Mm-hmm. Or else if you're caught there, it's considered trespassing and they'll slap you with a fine. Exactly. Hey everybody, the sponsor of today's episode is Anchor the platform that we use at the BRB Podcast for our podcast. Anchor is an awesome web-based distribution type platform, kind of like Spreaker and some of those other platforms out there that allows people to host their podcasts. But here's the caveat. 
There is no caveat. It's free. Free? Yeah, free. Unlike some of the other streaming platforms that we've used in the past, like Spreaker, they limit you on how many episodes you can upload. They limit you on how many demographics and charts and stuff like that that you want to see and see how your podcast is doing. So Anchor provides all that for free. You can upload. You can have as many episodes as you want for how long it needs to be. They give you all of the graphs and charts needed so that way you can keep track of your progress on how well you're doing for your podcast. And they also give you the option to help monetize your episodes as well by either giving you some sponsorships or you obtain some sponsorships. We definitely, definitely recommend checking out Anchor for all of your podcast needs because us at BRP Podcast, we are a self-funded podcast. So the fact that we can use internet-based platform for free and they give us all the tools to make us successful is why we give them two thumbs up. So we definitely recommend you check out Anchor. The link is in the description of this podcast. We would love for you to check them out and let them know that we sent you over to them. Thanks, Anchor. So this last thing we're talking about um, with the the veil, the cowl, or a hood. Um, at first, when I saw this, I thought they were three different things, but it's all one thing. There's just those are just different names for it. Mm-hmm. But uh, basically, um, what it is, it's when people like uh, are born mm-hmm. with this sort of. Um, thing over their head um there's there's a latin term for it but you know i don't really know latin so i'm not gonna say it but basically it's a piece of membrane that can cover a newborn's head and face um which it it is actually a pretty rare thing it occurs fewer than one in eighty thousand births um it's a harmless and it's you know immediately removed by the parent or you know whoever the midwife physician whoever was doing it at the time mm-hmm. uh it can be easily removed but a lot of people believe um that um people who are born with it uh is a sign of like special destiny or psychic abilities or good luck you know just mm-hmm. different superstitions yeah um it's, it is said that most people who are born with it are mostly female mm-hmm. which is interesting um but yeah so it's just one of those things that um happens occasionally and people just you know the superstition believes it 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 does things um like in medieval times apparently um it was a sign of good luck and it was considered you know an omen that they were destined for great things um they used to put it this is a weird thing they used to put the cow onto paper Uh and was considered an important tradition of childbirth would the midwife would rub a sheet of paper across the baby's head and face pressing the material of the cow onto paper and the cow would often be presented to the mother to keep as an heirloom and a a weird european uh legend um that it would give the bearer good luck and protect that person from death by drowning Mm -hmm. so a lot of sailors were like wanting it so medieval women would sell them off to sailors for a large sum of money yeah it was like a valuable talisman and stuff which is weird but 
that is what would happen. And then, um, I guess, allegedly, Alexander the Great was born with it. So, I mean, even though it was short-lived, he had, like, a really powerful and interesting life. Yeah. But, you know, that's, it's just an interesting thing because I've never really heard the term before until I saw a, a quick article on it. So yeah. I, st- I looked it up real quick and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting that that's a thing. Yeah. And especially back in the day. It, it's it's very fascinating when, like, in the 1700s, 1600s, 1800s, you know, or even earlier, that people would use, like, certain things like a cow, for example, as, like, a, a symbolic thing as if someone's got spiritual abilities or it would be good luck for sailors or a good or a talisman or something like that it's just amazes me that people would use things like that as like an omen from god or something or an omen that you know something good is going to happen i mean even though they referenced alexander the great you know was allegedly born with a cow it's hard to say, you know, if that is actually legit or not, but it just, it's so fascinating hearing, like, weird history about that kind of stuff, you know, because nowadays people don't even, even know what a cow is, you know? Yeah, I, I've never heard of it. I mean, I like the term veil more so than cow, but it seems like the medical term for it is cow. Yeah. Um... But I, I, I like the term uh, veil because I, I saw a picture of it and it is. It's like a, a white, like, see-through thing that's just covering their head. So it does look like, you know, like like a wedding veil like someone would wear, you know? Yeah. And, and realistically speaking, if anybody, any of our listeners have lived on a farm and experienced uh, a birthing of a particular animal like cows or horses or whatever, I know with cows in particular, uh, they will eat the uh, cow after when the calf has been born and everything. Um, and it also particularly referenced, you know, pork and mutton uh, also has the same thing as well. And I don't know if they uh, eat the, eat it or not. I faintly remember watching cows eat it after they would have the calf. But it's really interesting. And I don't know if... Looks like they use it in butchery. But I don't know if anybody actually uses it for anything. To be honest with you, I think it's just a discard item. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's it's interesting though. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it makes sense that all animals also have it, and mm-hmm. I think I've seen it. I just never known that that was the term for it. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting article. Yeah, it was very interesting to yeah. to to come across and. Now I learned something. Exactly. And we'll post it up for everybody else to read as well. <clears throat> Any last thoughts on this particular topic, David? No, those are some interesting stories. We have to look through that uh, thing again and look up some more um, locations to see what else yeah. is on there. Yeah. And if any of our, any of our listeners have, have ever been on one of those uh, paranormal ghost tours in Ogden... Uh, the Dead History used to put them on back in the day. They have since relocated to the East Coast, so they no longer do that. But they still do the podcast. They also, If you guys didn't know that, but that they also did a podcast. I actually found that out the other day. I haven't listened to it or anything, but I'm sure it'd probably be good. I wonder if she talks about the stories that she writes about or anything like that. But she's got a bunch of articles on this website, so we'll definitely 
have it in the group page, which if you guys aren't aware yet, we do have a group page for our podcast, and all you have to do is just go to our Facebook page, uh, BRP Podcast, go to the Communities tab, and you'll see our group page. If you want to join, you just have to answer a few simple questions. If you don't bother to answer those questions, you won't be let in. If you can't answer some simple questions, I we can't guarantee that you'll actually follow the rules of the group. But everything that we talk about in every single episode is in that group page, so we definitely recommend you go check it out. Now, the case that we're going to be talking about, it was basically a mini-investigation and, and, and a cleansing where myself, Diana, and David were on as well. Now, what all do you remember of this location, David? Um, quite a lot. Quite a lot. Um, it, it was one of the places where the house was where it seemed like the whole land kind of had like something going on with it too. Yeah. If I remember correctly, and then just um, instantly um, go walking into the house, uh, just immediately picking up on some uh, items that uh, had some uh, spiritual type attachments to them, mm-hmm. um, and then just kind of just sitting there and just taking it in. It was just one of those where the family has just been having a lot of things going on, and. Yeah, I don't remember all specifically what they were, their concerns were. But, I mean, they definitely had, like, I think one main uh, entity there mm-hmm. that, um, I guess, just freaked them out and bothered them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, we they just pretty much we just sat down talking, and then we uh, went straight into seeing what was there. Which there were, there were quite a few interesting things. I mean, besides the fact that the one daughter was burning a ton of dragon's blood incense, which we definitely do not recommend. It is, it does smell pretty, uh, not pretty. It does smell good, uh, which I can't, you know, negate that. But when you got stuff going on in the house, dragon's blood can be used in very minuscule amounts when you're doing cleansings and everything. But if you got something going on in your house, the last thing you want to do is uh to feed it fire sort of say, yeah well you know? it's, it's just an enhancer so if you have mm-hmm. you know negative stuff it's just gonna enhance it but obviously if you're trying to do stuff that's uh, with good intentions you can use it but you just mm-hmm. have to know that it is an enhancer so we normally refer people not to use it if they're dealing with something they're not understanding yeah agreed and there was a few other things that were going on there I mean we we did get some EVPs from from that. I do remember the FX. Um, a few words came through the FX when you were using it, David, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we were primarily in the basement, and that's where mm-hmm. I think the majority of where uh, the activity we were getting was. Yep. Um, and it was just, uh, I mean, it, it made itself look to be like a creeper type uh, entity. Yeah. Um, like trying to be tough and stuff and you know its energy was pretty decent I would say um, but we, we kind of split up like I was in one part and then you were either in the middle or uh, in the pantry where it was mm-hmm. like where it likes to stay 
and then Diana was in the middle or whatever, or vice versa between you and Diana. Mm -hmm. And just so we were kind of separate, but also wherever it went, we kind of had a body where it would be. Yeah. And then, yeah, I just like, if you were dealing with it, I would get voices through the FX that, you know, were pretty dark and stuff. And just, mm -hmm. yeah, just kind of dealing with just something dark there in general. Yeah. The whole time. Yeah, we did find a portal in the pantry, so we did have to close that. We went through the entire house, and we ended up finding a pretty good-looking curio cabinet that had uh, quite a few haunted items in there. Yes. Which were, were nothing too bad in terms of, like, cause for any of their uh, things, but they definitely all had, like, some of them had, like, decent energy to them. Yeah. So mix that with a portal and some nefarious things in a house equaled out to a pretty bad time to this family. So I think we were there for what? I would say two and a half, three hours that night, if I remember correctly. Um, we yeah, it wasn't... It, it, the investigation didn't last long, and then the cleansing, I think, relatively went pretty fast as well. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact, that's when... You stepped in, I believe that was your first location? You started sealing the doors? Um, I don't know. But I did, I did do that, didn't I? Mm-hmm. You did seal the doors with uh, Diana and I was getting everything else ready. But basically that, that location was a one and done situation if I remember correctly I think we had to go and do like a little tune up on the location after that but after since then I mean it's it's been copacetic I haven't heard from those clients since yeah that's good yeah but it was definitely interesting the 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 fact that the portal which was weird the portal wasn't like when when you think of a portal you would think it would be like in the middle of a room or something like that and in fact if I remember correctly that portal shared a corner with the bathroom down in the basement so it was on both sides so it wasn't mm. like in the middle of the of the pantry it was like in the corner right there and so it was a, a different it was it was a little bit different from the traditional portals that we usually close we were able to get it closed so it wasn't a problem but it was uh, very difficult because like most families here in Utah, they have a pretty hefty food storage pantry. And so there was wire racks everywhere full of food, and so we had to work around that. It was very challenging at that time, but definitely rewarding because we were able to take care of that client. Yeah, it was it was pretty, uh, pretty good. I would say we did good. Um, I, I do the, the ceiling of the doors, I think often now i think that's kind of like one of the main things i do yeah is is seal the doors mostly in part because i'm tall and i can actually reach the top of them yeah oh and i re i forgot to mention this so the room with the girl that was burning the uh dragon's blood all the time uh she had a couple of stone necklaces that was hanging up that i i had something attached to them that just had some bad energy as well so we had to cleanse those and then the mirrors. There was a lot of mirrors in that house, if I remember correctly. Do you remember that house having a lot of mirrors? <sighs> I feel like every house we go to has a shit ton of mirrors. Yeah. And so we had to take care of those mirrors too as well. 
But yeah, it was a good it was a good cleansing. There was nothing really to complain about. It was definitely one of the easier locations to cleanse because the haunted items were were really easy to cleanse, and the location was able to get taken care of pretty pretty quickly. But the family did want us to do like a mini investigation first before we even did anything. They just kind of wanted to know, you know, even though they yeah. lived there and lived through it, they just wanted validation, basically. Yeah, they wanted to kind of know what what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then once we told them, it was pretty easy to, you know, convince them to do a cleanse as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that was a good location. And we did that one during the week. David was able to, to help us on that one, even though it was a weekday night. Yeah, not my favorite cleansings in the world to, to do after work, just because... I'm already tired, so my state of mind isn't the greatest, you know, capacity to to do stuff like that. Which is, you know, hard because you want to your your mental fortitude. You want it to be top notch when you're doing cleansings, because cleansings alone take a lot of energy out in general. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, it's tough to do them after work for sure, mm-hmm. for me anyways. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and um, where you have a very physical, uh, challenging job, and then I have a very mentally challenging job, so it makes it hard to do things during the week, but when we get called, we still do it to a point. Usually, it's mostly me. Every once in a while, we'll have David come in and and uh, and help out as well, but it's definitely, it's challenging. It, it Doing the paranormal stuff like cleansings and everything, it takes a lot out of you. There's been some locations where it takes me days to recover, and some locations, not so much. It takes me like a day, you know? Just 24 hours and then I'm good to go. But some locations, man, there it takes like two or three days for me to recoup my energy and be back to normal again, and those are usually the, the harder locations to cleanse, you know? Yeah. Well, you got any final thoughts on this? case um no I, d- I don't okay so the good old k2 now i can't remember if we've ever talked about this piece of equipment in the last season i feel like i feel like we would have to yeah i would have thought we did but it was on our set list to do today now these days anyway there's quite a variety of digital EMF meters, which a lot of people just refer them as a K2 meter, but the K2 meter of itself is a different uh, EMF meter versus all the other ones. I did pull up a couple of websites here. Now, when I started doing the whole paranormal stuff, you know, when I bought my first K2, I think I paid it was a bundled deal, but if I remember correctly, just getting the run-of-the-mill K2 was about 45 to $50 back in the day. Uh, when I bought my K2, it was a combo deal where I got the K2 and a laser grid, a green laser grid. And I think I paid like 55 60 bucks or whatever. Nowadays, the uh, K2 meter is going for $64.90 on GhostUp's website. And it looks like it's $69.90 uh, Ghost Hunters equipment as well. But by what I can see here, it looks like they have a couple of variants. 
So you have the regular uh, EMF meter K2, and then they have the K2 Deluxe with sound alert. And by what I can see here, it looks like uh, basically whenever uh, the K2 Deluxe EMF meter uh, with on and off switch with auto buzzer alerts you of change in EM frequencies with both the traditional LED light graph with the sound. So not only you get to hear that your K2 is going off, you know, obviously besides seeing it, but that's a pretty nice little upgrade. I've never personally seen anybody get the K2 Deluxe. Have you seen one? I don't think I've seen anyone use it, no. Huh. That might be something that we might have to try out. I wonder how loud it gets, though. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. But I also bought, with the K2, uh, they came out with this a couple years ago. It's the K2 stand clip, and I actually have one installed on my K2. And it's actually been uh, very helpful to have. I can't remember if the one that I bought actually has the 510 thread on the bottom of it, but you could definitely clip it to your belt. Uh, the one that they have at Ghost Stop at the current time uh, shows that you can actually mount it to a tripod, so you can actually have it as a stationary thing now. It's funny that at Ghost Stop you can get the K2 uh, with the sound alert for yeah. 70 bucks. Or you can get it from Amazon, which still says it's Ghost Stop, so it's the exact same one, for $58.90. Oh, wow. That's a huge change. It's just funny because it looks like it's the exact same one. It even says, you know, Ghost Stop hmm. in the description. Yeah. And it's like 20 bucks cheaper. Well, and, and I'm always down for price matching or seeing if you could get it at a cheaper you know, cheaper rates somewhere else. But uh, definitely do your research though, because there's a lot of people that try to sell fakes out there. I was, I saw a couple weeks ago on Facebook, uh, someone found a website that they were selling K2 meters and they weren't even legit K2 meters either. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're reliable. I mean, they're the, they're literally the first thing anybody ever gets in terms of equipment, so. I mean, I've never personally owned one. That's just because everyone else I've known in our group has had one, so I've never felt the need to get one. Yeah, and anytime when I've talked to anybody and, and they ask me what's the what's the best piece of equipment to get for uh, someone that wants to start doing paranormal investigations, and it's I usually tell them a K2, a full spectrum camera, and a digital recorder is usually the first three three items that I would recommend for anybody who's starting out in this field, because if you can get the most basic stuff to start and then you can build up your arsenal from there because it doesn't make any sense to buy a portal uh, a portal box for your first piece of equipment when you don't even have the basic ghost hunting equipment with you you know you got to have a K2 and you got to have a digital recorder you know you got to learn on the very basics first and would you agree David yeah you gotta cuz things with K2s that are interesting is not every blimp on there is anything paranormal related. You kind of have to figure out why it's doing that sometimes. Yeah, and in fact, the K2 is really a good piece of equipment for debunking as well, especially when you're doing baselines. 
I couldn't tell you how many times when we walked into a house and, and we used the K2 and we, were, we found out that there's, you know, bleed through coming from old wires in the wall, from outlets, from uh, uh, kitchen appliances, you, you know, you name it and it happens. And in fact, it was a good, um, it was a good uh, visual to show people, you know, if you put a K2 next to like a Wi-Fi router and you can just see the uh, EMF being emitted from the Wi-Fi router and it's actually saved a few people you know there was uh, I can't remember if I talked about it on a previous episode but we had a client call uh, call us to their house over in Newton and she was having bad dreams and everything and she was literally like three feet away from her Wi-Fi router which was on the other side of the wall but just sitting on her side of the bed and holding up the K2 you could just see the the wavelengths just coming off of that uh, Wi-Fi router so once she moved that router the bad dream stopped you know and EMF can definitely um, it some people are more sensitive to EMF than others it can affect people differently and she was one of those uh, few individuals that did get affected by EMF and so having the K2 dare to visually show her you know this is what's happening you know you're sleeping right here and three feet away on the other side of the wall is your Wi-Fi router you probably should relocate it to the other side of that room and when she did it, it pretty much resolved the issue but on top of that just having just a normal analog k2 meter there are a couple of variants out on the market as well now I know David has this piece of equipment it's just the regular digital EMF meter you can get on ghost stop with the red screen and everything and it makes a beeping noise when EMF goes higher and you've used it and it seems to be pretty accurate right David yeah I, I like it because uh, it, it just tells you uh numbers on what the milligauss is you know so it's like a like a smaller version of a mel meter essentially yeah uh, but what's cool about it yeah when it goes over a uh, high threshold that is of you know s significance of uh increase in milligauss mm -hmm. it will start beeping and the re the screen will go from green to red so yeah. it'll let you know that it is a high quantity of emf that it is reading at that time Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, it, it's pretty helpful for sure. Than just, yeah. you know, because then you, the, the the audible is what really helps it. Because then you don't have to be looking at it the whole time. And then you'll just know that when you start hearing that, I was like, oh, that's a high, that was a high EMF spike right there without mm -hmm. even looking at the numbers. Yeah. And ironically enough, that digital EMF meter, and I can't remember what you paid for yours back when you bought yours, but it's $79.95 on Ghostop's website, which is pretty much $10 more than the K2 Deluxe, which essentially does the same thing, only it's an analog instead of a digital display. Yeah, I'd get that over the K2 Deluxe any day. Yeah. And then not only just the regular digital EMF meter that David has, David also has the tri-filled uh, EMF meter, the digital version, then the analog version, the original one that a lot of uh, people uh, bought back in the day. And then of course you have the Mel meter and the Mel meter rim that also uh, measures EMF. Now did we, I can't recall <clears throat> David, but didn't we, uh, did we try using the Mel meter in accordance to your your uh, EMF meter to see if they were pretty well accurate? I can't remember if we ever run that test. 
Um, I would imagine at some point we did. I just don't recall if we ever did. We did. Uh, we did a lot of testing with our with three mel meters to see if we can roughly get them to do the same thing. Yeah, and and the most recent one we did that at was at residential Bear Lake, and both of ours were pretty similar, and Becky's was like way out of whack. It was yeah. a lot different than ours. Yeah, I remember that one. We might have to do that again and report back and try that out using your your digital EMF meter versus our uh, mel meters and see if they're pretty accurate. Because I would assume probably the D, the digital EMF meter is probably just a little bit more sensitive than the mel meter is, I would dare yeah. say. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But you could definitely pick up a K2. You can pick up a K2 anywhere. I mean, you can get it from eBay, Ghost Hunters Equipment, Ghost Stop, Amazon. Now, if you uh, different websites have different uh, things going on. So when I hopped onto Ghost Hunters Equipment, you have some options. You can basically buy uh, the regular K2, the K2 Deluxe, and then they have combo deals where you can buy like three K2 meters uh, for like 159 bucks and change. You can get a K2 meter plus a free flashlight screwdriver kit for $59.90. Uh, you can get a K2 mil meter together, K2 and SB11, uh, K2 and SB7, you know, and, and, and it goes down the line. And they also have different colors too, so you can get the original gray, which is the one that I have, or the newer version also comes in a black case as well. So there, there are options. I would definitely just go, uh, go out and see what's going to work best for you. If you think that, you know, getting it from Amazon would be the better bet than getting it from any of these stores, or if you want to do a combo deal, they tend to do like a percentage off and stuff like that. But it's one of those pieces of equipment that we definitely recommend. Everybody should have this in their, uh, in their arsenal. Now, if you don't particularly have one, but if someone on your team has one, it still counts. You know, as long as you understand the concept of the K2 and you can debunk things with the K2, that's all really matters. But did you have any final thoughts on that piece of equipment, David? Yeah, we should do customized skins for it. That would be awesome. I would love to do a customized skin on mine. Yeah, we should we should create that. That'd be pretty dope. Right. Because I wonder, because I know you, because there's different companies out there like D Brand. They do skins for like phones and stuff like that. I wonder if we can get that same type of material for like a K2. Yeah, because it'd be pretty easy. It's it's pretty flat surface for the most part, so mm -hmm. you just throw it on there. I just picture what you did for uh, the the your Ghost Box Two that you have, how it's customized like that. Yeah like that but for the k2 i think that'd be cool yeah that would be cool and do like logos or do like um <clears throat> like uh weathered wood and stuff like that that would be pretty cool i would like yeah. that that's basically it for me any final thoughts david uh yeah check out our merch store yes please do we did uh post up some pictures of some of the merch that we've personally have bought and we have it up on the group page so we definitely recommend checking it out every purchase you guys do uh definitely helps us out because we're a self-funded podcast and we're a self-funded group any purchase that you guys do to us even if it's just something as simple as a sticker 
you know that it definitely helps us out in the long run so we definitely recommend you check it out the link is in the description of this podcast and it's posted on facebook as well but that's it for our episode for today so we hope you enjoy the rest of your monday and you have a great rest of your day bye-bye you are listening to the bear river paranormal podcast brp podcast if you or you know of someone who is having issues with an entity or a possible haunting please send us an email, text, or call. You can find all of our information at www.bearriverparanormal.com. We work 24-7 so we can resolve your paranormal issues quickly and as conveniently as possible. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Bear River Paranormal Podcast. Toss us a rating or a review. You can also find us on Facebook at BRP Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring us, or if you like your products featured on the show, please send us a message. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for listening, and have a wonderful rest of your day.